listening to Record Room, where we meet the artists behind an album we love. I'm your host, Will Felker. Anthony Mills is a singer-songwriter based in Stockholm. His latest album, Blue Collar Work Ethic, came out in January 2018. But before that, he had already worked with an impressive list of collaborators. The list includes, but is not limited to, Grace Bumbry, Harry Belafonte, KRS-One, Dead Prez, Leela James, Amy Winehouse, Maxi Priest, and Sizzla. His wild cookie outfit with producer Freddy Krueger exhibits his talent for storytelling over a genre-hopping mix of boom-bap, down-tempo, and bossa nova. Mill's voice is in fine form on Blue Collar Work Ethic, which, unlike its predecessors, is a decidedly country album. The album is self-confident and expands styles of country as we know them. It has as much to do with the commercial success of figures like Charlie Pride, Darius Rucker, or Aaron Neville as it does the anthology of American folk music. Perhaps this is why, for the time being, Mills is self-distributing the album on vinyl to shops and listeners around the world. Syrupy, sweet, light-skinned girls you may never meet. Hustlers riding Kentucky's best eat. Just keep a listening, there's more for you to see. We growing wild, ain't no one touching a leaf. Talking spreads the news on country streets. You can get anything plus the kitchen sink. I guarantee your country ain't what you may think. Country. What you think it is Yes, there are some trees Ain't got no fruit to give When you first played some of the songs for your sister yeah. who lives in Texas, yeah. she said you were singing too well. Yeah, singing too good. <laughs> Her words. Yeah, 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 singing too good. So it's interesting to me, like hearing you thinking more as an engineer, more as a producer of your yeah. own project, you know, you coach two Swedish players to play very Americana roots music, and it doesn't sound contrived. And you being, you know, a classically trained tenor, yeah. uh, had to sing differently, right? Basically, definitely, definitely. Let's get into that. That's when I had the melodies and the notes and the lyrics. It's like, you know, obviously, you you tend you want to enunciate you so you can hear the lyrics and everything. Mm-hmm. But then. For like say specific song, joke joint, as much as you singing too much, man, singing too good. Like I need to hear it needs to be junior. We need to hear junior. That's what my great aunt them called me because I they wanted me to be McKinley Mills Junior. But anyway, mm-hmm. you just get called junior anyway, especially if you look like your pops. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so anyway, there's a junior. You know. So my sister's like, yo, that's the vocal. Mm-hmm. So if I had to say. The characteristic of the vocal style, it is just junior, mm-hmm. which didn't really exist because I, like you couldn't really warm up to it and you couldn't, if you affected it, you could hear that. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because at a, at a certain time, I had a listener listening and they were like, uh, why are you singing with that accent? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it was just because the thing is, there's these places where you need to sing for the resonance for the so the word you know mm-hmm. and this could go but go into vocal training 
But for this style of music, it's a pure country right. vowel right. that you sing in, like you don't make it proper. So it makes for this new position that you can express through. It's like taking a, a trumpet or something and cutting a little bit of tubing off, mm-hmm. fixing it, and then it makes it be so, this other way, but it's still very much a trumpet. And it's, yeah. you know. But you've muted it yeah, the right yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Words and the placement, like, you know where these words sit. I'm telling you, it was, for me, it was a very therapeutic experience. And like, I just had, like I said, I just had to get it on vinyl first, like, so that it could be on vinyl first. What came first, the musical palette or the vocal palette for the record? The the lyrical palette came first, or the libretto. Mm-hmm. Then the rhythm of those lyrics, mm-hmm. and then the melody. Because to speak the lyrics with the with just say with the with music, they would have their own rhythm, mm-hmm. like showing up for work and then the mood might bring you down. You got a job and that there is a stepping stone. Time don't wait for nobody. You keep hitting snooze. Work is all you got, so work is all you do. Mm-hmm. Factory town's got a certain smell. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like really real talk. Like, you know, and then. What's getting, the second line? Old steel and. Uh, factory, factory town's got a certain to smell. Uh, burnt rubber and steel, steel got a story to tell. tell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that blue collar work ethic. Mm-hmm. I, I, like I said, I told you, I remember. Being a little kid and my town smelling like sulfur. And I remember one day it was gone. And around that same time, they were filling up potato chip bags all the way to the top with chips. Mm-hmm. So when you bust them open, the shit would fall out on the floor. And at the same time, when this factory smell left my hometown, they started adding air and selling chips by weight. And I remember my grandmother being like, this is wrong. Like, not like out of greed. It was just they were being greedy. She was like, something's wrong with this bag of potato chips. Because mm-hmm. a week ago, when you open it, chip could just fall out on the floor. You have to open it gently and mm-hmm. you take a few months, dump some out, you know. But now you open it and the chips are from the middle to the bottom because they started filling these, these all kinds of things up with air. Mm-hmm. The uglier side of yeah. those lingering effects, too, are the health yes. concerns, you know? Health concerns. And so, you know, I, I know my mother has to this day. And breathing things based off of growing up in that environment, you know. Right. And probably millions of others have had that as well. Yeah, man. And you know, the crazy thing is that I had a lot of other song titles mm-hmm. and a lot of other, before I got to Blue Collar Work Ethic as the title mm-hmm. and as this, and being a song on it, you know. What were some of those? Well, the whole album was like White Man's Burden, but spell it like, W-H-Y-T-E Could you tell me the story about your friend Greg? Well, And how you arrived at the title? Well, the funny thing is He gave me the title Maybe Eight years before this existed mm-hmm. So He was just like Kind of complimenting me on my work in Europe And he's like Yo, I see you out there, man You know You know what that is Like the, your, your grind I'm like What? I mean, grind, man You know like nah, he's like nah, man. That's that blue collar work ethic, you know. You can't teach that shit, you know. You can't. You gotta like grow. You gotta have that in your blood. You gotta grow up like that. Yeah. And I, and you don't. It's it's not something you think about. You can meet somebody from a tough section in Detroit mm-hmm. of any color, 
and they'll be tough. True. They might not, you know, they might not start shit or something, but they'll have a toughness from growing up in that. So yeah, he he said that, and then boom, like it just stayed with me. In some ways, this album is about. Well, for me, it's about okay. Yeah, I definitely learned something about music, about how to put my stories into music, about. But then, when I come, kind of return to it, and in this context, you know, I listened to some people, man, at different times, and it wasn't like I never once when he said I should do country, I wasn't like, yeah, that's where the money is. Not like that either. It was like. Why is he saying this? And actually, I was like, "Ain't no, you know." He he mentioned (laughs) I knew about Darius Rucker and some other people, but I went and I was just like, "I got all these stories," and I just started writing the stories. I was like, "Yeah, let me do the country, man." You know, so it was just crazy. Yeah, and then of course, you know, like getting the surprise, like what country? Is this country, country, or or country, Mm -hmm. like or? You know what? What kind of country? You know, mm-hmm. there, there's those type of people out there too. So it's like it's really interesting, man. I think for how you dressed up these songs and stories with a, a country sensibility, I love the way that everything's played. You know what I mean? I mean, there's straight a, through too. Yeah, yeah. and it's yeah. it's not just consistent but i mean and again back to coaching you know these swedish cats yeah. who played on the record and brought the whole thing to life that's what lingers with me just as much as you know it's dope it's the, dope the themes and the more like you know literary things that i have a read on your song so you know we're talking about slide bass on cowboys and engines guitar work is really percussive and rhythmic and it, it comes together incredibly well and I've enjoyed hearing about how you put the record together, yeah. engineering the whole thing in Ableton, and and then you fed it through an analog mixer. Yeah, I had a mastering engineer. Right. And the funny thing is a guy, he bartered me studio time for the mastering for this Neve board mm-hmm. for, uh, I sang some, uh, his, for his final project, mm-hmm. mixing project at school. Yeah. So he's like, yeah, I can give you this much money and I can give you eight hours you know, mastering on the Neve. I was like, wow. Because at this point, I knew that Vulcala was done. I was like, cool, let's do that. Yeah. Book the time. You know, sometimes people offer you services in exchange for, and then they never around to give you the service. But they were like, mm-hmm. and the and the the guy, his name is Johansson. Uh, his name is also Joachim, excuse me, Johansson. He is into guitar and this sort of mix realm for mixing. So... Yeah, it was it was crazy, man. How it worked out, and that he was there, and and I got to be there. Like they say, everything was on s- separate tracks, and it just like so you could hear it be be way warmer mm-hmm. than what it just was. And they gave me props as far as like saying, "Man, you recorded it really good." Yeah, because here's the thing: every mix engineer, master engineer that I've been meeting, there was this period of time where it's like you could get music in whatever state, and you just make it sound as best as possible. But at this point, people are like, if it's not a, a really great recording, you ain't going to make it sound like a million bucks or anything. Right. Like, you know what I mean? So it was crazy. Yeah. And that's what strikes me about the the minimalism in all the compositions, you know, yeah. because minimalism is something that I think often people strive for because it kind of focuses every element down to its constituent parts, you yeah. know, whereas this and that's at work here. But, uh, you know, these 
these takes, these sonics are incredibly warm, minimal, yes, in their arrangements, but full. Yeah. Really full. You know? I was really, I mean, you know, uh, I mean, I told you I DJ and stuff, but like all of the things that are at work as far as, say, what, if I'm producing something or making some music, man, it all helps to apply. Like even when I, it drops for when I take the Cayon out mm-hmm. or how, how it's played or house music background and different things. And then when you don't play with the metronome, this human feeling that is there, that's the reason why it, like vinyl is such a proper medium for it because no record player is going to be the same. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's, everybody doesn't have exactly the same needles on their record player. So when you drop the needle and then the, then that it's recorded straight through like that, it's just like it's alive, man. It is. <laughs> yeah. Even even the sing back tracks, which also went through the same mixing and mastering. Mm-hmm. When I play them off of my phone, when I play them off a of USB stick, when I play them, yeah. From CDJ, they're alive, man. And part of that life is extra musical, right? Thank you. The first thing, your sister's first comment on how the record was sounding yeah. and how your vocals were. Can you tell me what she eventually said She's like, when you found your groove yeah, for the record? Yeah, yeah. She's like, man, nah, now we talk. That's the, that's the, that's how like, that's, that's how like, that's the rock. Uh, the catfish swim over. That's from underneath that rock. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, like, you know, like, first thing, you just wake up, you just out of bed. This is you. This is you, like, what you do. So you, you don't have to, wait, 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 let me clear my throat. Nah, you know, you don't got to do none of that, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, it's been like, and it's actually brand new, almost every time. But being that this genre itself doesn't really have, in this sort of format, doesn't really have an expiration date. Mm-hmm. As soon as you start putting Electronic instruments, whether vintage or new, you start adding an expiration date or you start adding nuances that you can say, that's a 70s, because nerds out there like that, they even know, that's a 70s uh, Neumann mic. It's people, they know. So it wasn't a rebellion to do this. It was more like people could use a word in a context and just be wrong about it. Mm-hmm. i.e. Stetson you can ask a lot of people and it's wholly acceptable and this is international what kind of music do you like they can say oh I like all kinds of music some people say I like everything wait wait wait, wait, wait. let me take that I like everything but country and they could say this in their native tongue people don't like the music from the backwoods where they're from that's some country shit it's usually, it could be associated with Lower intelligence. It could be associated with poverty. It could be associated with bad orthodontry. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It could be associated with like all kinds of things, like all kinds of stereotypes. And then it can be made racial as well. Mm-hmm. And there are realities that keep these things alive. And then here's blue collar work ethic. And then now it's for, it's a surprise for me. It's a surprise for you. It's a surprise, man. Mm-hmm. But it's a family story, man. And it's familiar. Yeah. This yeah. is my family story, man. Mm-hmm. 
said for Louisiana, he said welcome home. My great aunt and uncle old still move like they was young. Ain't Fanny saw an armadillo while she was hanging wash. She took a cane in the dillow twice and I was bubbling in the pot. I'm barefoot, barefoot, hey, I'm barefoot, barefoot. Barefoot in Pineville, Louisiana. Just let the wine spill in Alabama. Big trees and Oprah don't get no better. Barefoot in Pineville, Louisiana. Self stories I was told. My mama met a fan at first, before I was even born. Up north, it gets so goddamn cold, just try and make it through. That country life must slow you down to get the best of you. In the last couple weeks that I've been getting familiar with mm-hmm. the record, the record as text is all I'm thinking about, really. You know, and that's dope. It man. feels very new. It's also very familiar and uncomfortable at times. <laughs> like, right? Yo. And that is, I mean, that's to speak to the nuance that you're drawing out. Yeah. This I'd love to get into because there are moments on the record like Stetson, which I've said to you before, reads kind of almost as like a thesis for the album. But you could take any song on this record as an entry point or an exit (laughs) from it, you know? And yeah, there's a lot to unpack. So, you know, you just mentioned race, for instance, and I think it's significant that you made this record and it is your record and it is an incredibly black record and nothing about those realities is paradoxical, right? Though initially a lot of people might hear it and that could be their first thought that this is not expected and this is not something that they're seeking out or have come to know because of the you know nature of country music and the way that it's been disseminated as a hugely commercial thing which is not really always rooted as we know in the history Mm -hmm. the folk reality and narratives of this music right but i don't know why the face of country is as it is like i actually i don't even care Mm -hmm. However it is, because anyone could complain about the face of any genre of music at any given time. And they do. Yeah, and they do. They will complain. They they should. They're not <laughs> going to stop. And you could also just like you could also take a, it is what it is perspective, too. Sure. Thank you. 
See, I ain't putting down your music It's just another time and place You like the sound that makes you happy And put a smile back on your face Days go by and people change And put away those silly childish things Ask you all the time, what do you like? And yeah, you play good music most of the time But now you're looking cross-eyed at me, honey You say you're liking anything but country Why are you a hypocrite today, girl? The way you drank my whiskey yesterday couldn't keep my steps in upstairs. Blue Collar Work Ethic begat out of advice from my friend David Belafonte. He said, man, forget about, you know, hip-hop and this and that and that. You know, country is where the money is. Like, But in a supportive way, like, hey, right. that's something that I guess he felt like, hey. And he came with, like, he came with, like, some explicit, like, directions, too. He didn't tell me, he, like, he didn't tell me what to sing. He didn't tell me what I should sing about. He did preface that whiskey should be mentioned, which I fi- I think that's funny. But anyway, but you can mention that. Like, if you're going to do reggae, like, you can mention weed, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't have to do it, but you can mention it. You know, it's acceptable there. And then he said that I should get a cayon, just wooden drum, because it's going to have an organic, you know, sort of bottom. I've, I had seen, like, I had been at festivals and seen people playing cayon and drum circles you know but i never had it on music and i never played it myself real quick though for anybody yeah. who's maybe not familiar with what a coyote is yeah. it's it's basically a box right yeah a percussive box <laughs> yeah it's basically like one of your drawers so then say play that into ableton and then you got something analog and digital so it was weird he was like make sure you get the coyote he's like just look around like go on craigslist do this do that he went on craigslist he's like there's 10 of them there i'm like i'm in sweden he's like well, whatever the equivalent of that mm-hmm. is, which is block it. Mm-hmm. Went on block it, found three, man. And then <laughs> one dude met me on the subway. I gave him 400 crowns and I had to, and I took a picture. So David, he was like, now nah, we're talking, you know, like, okay, this is something for me to get into. Like, you know, I never played it. Yeah. It was a really, really interesting process. You've mentioned in the past writing for other projects that yeah. typically you write beginning with a freestyle. Yeah. And work out whatever melodic riff you're going to yeah. do. And then, uh, you know, words come and then in a take two, three, four, then the song materializes, appears. Yeah. So was it different for this record going in, not only having a concept, but also having a lot of the poems that you had written? Yeah. Obviously all experiences you've had. How- well, what it is, is I wrote the poems from the experiences that I had. Right. Over the next 24 hours when he said you should do country. And I was just thinking, you know, it's weird because even in my own mind, I started to think what, if you say country, you just think about, yeah, Nashville, mm-hmm. the whoever is famous in country, and they let us know who it is. Like, I don't, you know, whether it be Chris Stapleton or whoever, mm-hmm. whoever it is at the time, you say country, you're going to know who their stars are. Yeah. Because they hold them up high and they do their thing. Right. So, you know, I'm, I have Kenny Rogers. I have 
all of these standard, like, big country artists in my mind of the music that I grew up hearing and say the storytelling or say, okay, the slickness of of the hooks or so when I was coming up with the lyrics or the stories from my own, I set foot in Louisiana. Pete said, welcome home. My great aunt and uncle old still move like they was young. Mm-hmm. Like, ain't Fanny saw Armadillo? Yeah. She was hanging wash. She took a cane and hit the dillo twice. Now it's bubbling in the pot, you know. I think whatever the spirit that that helped that push and got this to where it is today, and then like feeling, I always felt confident about it, but I I felt unorthodox about it, right? Because I have a lot of country like stuff that has rubbed off on me. I didn't grow up in the South, you know, right? So, and I even hint towards that. And at different times as well. Mm-hmm. So it was a very humble uh, narrative that, you know, it brought me to tears on, on many occasions just because it's like, how do I crack this nut? Like, how do I get this to work? You know, it took me some time, like I said, to, mm-hmm. to fully melodify them so that they would actually be songs. Right. If it doesn't sing well, if it doesn't sound good, like the melody, it don't matter how good the lyrics are. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> People are, are hard out there, man. Yeah, I think... The the bulk of the family experiences that you're bringing into the record, yeah. obviously your mother's from Ohio, you yeah. grew up in Akron, yes. your father's family's from Louisiana, but you wrote the entire record in Stockholm. Yes. Two years ago. Yes. Tell me a little bit about that. Okay. A friend of mine gave me Ableton for some paintings, and I started production. I started producing again and doing doing my thing. So basically, it's two musicians on this. It's, it's Mad Midget. Playing bass and string, uh, slide guitar and electric guitar with the, the twangy old sound of electric guitar. And then there's another guy named Johan who's playing White Baby Doll and Stetson and Mr. Fame. Yes. So having that liberty and like being the, if we should say executive producer and the rec- record engineer, it was like all of my years of it, like just being in the studio and stuff. Okay, now here's this program. It works great. It's user friendly. I know how to hit record and I know that it, it's not peeking out and I can hear. I'm like, wow, this is working. In fact, this is some crazy shit. The baseline for one particular track, I recorded with, with the iPhone microphone and somehow that compressed it. And then I dragged that into Ableton and then it ended up, and it got mastered, like I said, on the Neve console. So, it's really weird, man. It's like just things happen. You know how it is, man. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, you know, so it's not like t- it, this stuff is definitely hasn't gone through a whole bunch of effects. Like the most I would do is pitch down the Kayon and to give it a more lower bottom feel. Yeah, man. It's just some organic shit, man. says you shouldn't worship graven image only God can count the hairs on my head and every fist to swim in you were the first girl I saw and every kid would love to be it's 
takes one brave enough to burst your bubble Susie cures give unto me and that's what started all the trouble mm-hmm. she had a half a dozen outfits donut color Boston cream white And everyone was getting fed up Pick her up, I put her down Carry her all over town Showing off pretty blue eyes You ain't got to tell me twice I would like to get into what I think is uh, one of the more fraught records on the album White Baby Doll. Yeah. This is a song from the record that has everything to do with a black American experience, right? And for anyone who's maybe not familiar, White Baby Dolls based on the doll test. Yeah. Well, How- when I realized that that existed and, and I discovered that, it just kind of stayed in my mind as a subject matter or whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. it just kind of stayed there. Like, you don't forget. You can't un see or un not remember such a thing so when it came when I got to like say I don't even know necessarily the order in which I wrote all of these songs but I, I can tell you that it, like I said it was over a 24 48 hour period that I had all of these lyrics so you know as soon as I thought white baby doll like and I just started you know what the bible said you shouldn't worship graven image only God can count the hairs on my head and every fish that's swimming. You were the first girl I saw and every, and every kid would love to bits. White baby doll and everyone was getting jealous. Everyone was getting fed up. You know, so it's like, yeah, I needed to sing about that in a country way. And then at the same time, for me, that feels like some country shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it's like, it's creepy, man. Like, and it's also like, this is another thing I actually, like, I, I appreciate. If you flash through country channels, if you say, hey, I'm going to listen, just peep the lyrics and check out. There's a lot of creepy shit being sung in, in the genre of country. It can so, be very gothic in its yeah, storytelling, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Like, so being that, but I never existed there. I told you my other friend said, this is like the black cowboy everybody's heard about, but nobody's ever seen. And he just was like, his favorite song was Wild Wild West. He was like, man, he's from DC. He was like, that's crazy. Like, but you know, so this is just, like I said, it's just been marinating, man. It's just been marinating. And Wild Wild West, now that you mention it, is very much a cowboy song. (laughs) And if you, I mean, you take any Western film, just, just as a kind of literary trope and archetype, you know, what is that song is talking about? Excessive force, yeah. a natural distrust of law enforcement, yeah. and it's talk mainly the but main it's today. Yeah, the main thing about that song is that it's people getting locked up and they didn't do shit. But 
you still got to watch your back even if you're not doing nothing. That's the world we live in. And it's almost colorless. You still have to watch your back even if you're not doing nothing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You're hanging out with in this area, this stuff is going on, you got to watch your back. How have the Swedes you've played this record for yeah. and who have listened to it received um, the ones who are into this music, they think it's amazing. Like, I'm not saying, oh, they think it's amazing. Right, but they're... But they think it's... They they're think positive it's, about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They think, they think very, very... The ones who are trendy, they respect it, but they are silent in there. They don't know of this at all. But if Erica Badu was to be like, yo, I fuck with that, they're going to love it. Those people. She's from Dallas. I mean, she's from Texas. CeeLo Green, let, you know, let some of the, let's say, you already know, people who live in the South that are doing other things, not necessarily this, get a hold of some of this subject matter. This is subject matter that is not really being, being, uh, been introduced in that genre. Mm -hmm. Like, country ain't what you think it is. It's like my song to, to just say, it's not what I think it is, and it ain't what you think it is. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah. Because there's some trees ain't got no fruit to give. I remember I posted that line. I said, country ain't what you think it is. Yes, there are some trees ain't got no fruit to give. And I remember, you know, everybody's a philosopher now. I remember somebody writing, yes, but even though the tree has no fruit, it doesn't mean that it's never had seed <laughs> or something. It's like, okay, yeah, you're right. Great read. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, but like, mm -hmm. it's like, if you must be, you know, taking kindness for weakness. This is what country is about. Mm -hmm. Taking kindness for weakness. So go to the countryside. You hear people talking a little bit different, a little bit slower with a draw. And uh, your city slicker. We, we've seen this in movies. We see this all the time. And you go there and you leave in the pine box because you didn't know what country was. If you must be laid in a ditch... You probably failed your only quiz. It won't be no coming back for biscuits and grits. Partner, all it mean is you don't know what country is. Country ain't what you think it is. Gold crowns and hair dye. So this was some of the first impressions. That's when I got there, I'm like, wow, all these black people, all of my family, all my cousins, everybody has gold crowns and some blue, electric blue hair. This is like, say, 97 or something when I went down there and, my great aunts, like I told you, and a light-skinned girls you will never meet. They said, I'm not into that, but I just noticed that I didn't see any. And because they don't come outside during the day, because they don't want to get dark. They didn't understand. I have football. I'm out running. This is in Louisiana. You know what I mean? It's very hot. And they were like, what am kind of like, why am I outside? This is with a brown paper bag test and all this type of, it's still very strong. People still ble using bleaching cream. It's 2018. So I'm like, light-skinned girls, you may never meet. Hustlers riding Kentucky's best steed. I saw a, a drug dealer on probably million-dollar thoroughbred horse, man. Looked like a white Arabian horse. So it was a very exotic Zorro type of a horse. It wasn't like, it was not a cheap horse. And it was like really light on his feet. And he had chops and the real full cowboy regalia. He might have probably even been a cowboy. He was slinging keys too. Hustlers riding Kentucky's best steed. 
Just keep a listening. There's more for you to see. Weed growing wild. Ain't no one touching the leaf. Talk it spreads the news on country streets. You can get anything plus the kitchen sink. You know. We're talking on a color line, on a masculine line. Yeah. These are things that are recast but not unfamiliar at all. Yeah. Right? That is a weight that country carries, you know. Yeah. Like any narrative. So my pops had a car wash back in the seventies. And he um it was a popular place, all of the caddies, all this different stuff like that. So anyway, one day the building closed and for whatever he didn't have it anymore. I don't know. But he was still doing some detailing at home. And at this point I was old enough I had worked the car wash. But I had and he started he started showing me buffing and waxing the detail. It's like eighty dollar treatments, hundred dollar treatments of waxing. So he's like, Okay, we gotta go pick up these two cars. We're gonna buff and wax today from Chet Mull. So we go to this quarry and get this I told you it was like a red Cadillac convertible coupe and an IROC-Z. I think it belonged to his his daughter or something. It was like very fast custom car. So Mr. Moore comes out and gives my dad the keys for the other car, which we have to go and pick up. And then I drove one of them back to our house. And when he came out, he was like, he was like this huge Native American dude. But I didn't, I haven't been in the presence of uh, like a lot of Native American very like big men like I haven't been around so many like I don't think that many people have like you could hear you might know but you know and he was towering and he was, it was very, I was like wow I was like what kind of like what kind of guy is that like he was like oh he engine my dad just he engine engine <laughs> like, and then my mother corrected it's Native American like what are you talking about he engine I mean, come on, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, people are getting reprimanded around, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He engine, but that just stayed with me. Like, that just stayed with me because for the song that I'm singing, that engine of, you know, beating on your kids. Like, I'm not saying, okay, I shouldn't like the trash can on fire and shit, but, you know, there's a storyline there. That engine is done. So, yeah. And it just, I mean, for me, you know, like, you already know, you said you've been following the lyrics. Like, I love lyrics too, man. So, yeah. Yeah, and along these lyrical lines, that's... Yeah, along those lines, it's like, yeah. that's That's the weight of the album, though. Yeah. I mean, in the last five minutes, we've talked about light skin privilege. You know, we've talked about First Nations just existing in the expanse of what is America, you know, and exactly. what is no longer theirs. Uh, juke joint. I even talk about the sort of like the middle passage and say, from the Ivory Coast to the Gulf of Mexico, yeah, you already hear it. It's the, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, you already hear it. And you already know what that bottle on the bar is. Hot sauce, baby. You already know, you know, I went to one joke joint and it was like, it just smelled like, it just smelled like shrimps and all of the things, okra, all that type of stuff. But that was going on in this back room. It was a jukebox. There was a couple of people in there. It was, it was quite early. I got there early with a cousin of mine. And it was just this corroded bottle of hot sauce just on the bar, like half full, you know, with the dried. Looking, nobody ever wiped it off, man. Yeah, it was just there, man. 
and I knew what it was. You know what I'm saying? So that's why I said you already know what that bottle on the bar is. Hot sauce, baby. And if you ask what is, you know what that is. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? No one will answer you if you ask what is that. Because you already know what it is. So it's this, I was able to experience and understand that this certain type of Southern timing and humor would be an attribute like DNA. Like it made sense. I'm not, I didn't like come back like necessarily speaking with a, a heavy Southern drawl or something, but saying my aunt instead of my aunt or all of these different pronunciations, it was like unbelievable, man. I told you another story, Road Gully Road, and it's spelled Rigoletto. And it's like, I walk like two miles, man, looking for Row Gully, R-O-W, you know, G-U-L-L-Y. It's like, I was like, wow. Actually, you know, you know, sometimes you can be like, where am I? Like, you know where you are, but you don't have no idea where you are. There was a little, a little white girl down there who called my aunt by her first name. Now, mind you, this is my great aunt. So when I met her, she was 84. Ain't Fanny, Uncle James, people in the neighborhood. Miss Fanny, Mr. James, how you doing, sister, uh, tired of me, da-da-da, with disrespect. And this little girl, she had to be like 11 or something. Fanny Mae, da-da-da-da-da. And it just kind of, like, wait a minute, whoa. You know, I'm from up north. I was, And I had pulled a little girl to the side. I was like, listen, you know, mine is 84. So you need to, next time you see her, you need to, you know, put, put, put Mrs., sister, or something. Show her some respect. Like, get out of my face. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, nah. You know what I mean? I didn't, like, threaten her or nothing like that. And it's funny because my aunt didn't say anything. And then later, she's like, I heard what you said to little miss blah, blah, blah. She's like, me and your uncle got to live here. So don't do that no more, you know, because they're already retired and they're already like, it wasn't like they hadn't given up either. But it was just like, it does. I don't know how much that means to her, if at all. But, it, it you know, it just stuck out to me because... I didn't see that spirit, you know what I mean, somebody talking to her like that. You know, so it was just like, yeah, it was it was crazy. These instances and experiences that are throughout the entire record, even those that I have not personally experienced are familiar. There's yeah. a lot here that I have experienced, you know, and I think it's very universal in that way, but I'm interested to know, I mean, since you wrote the record in Stockholm and you've been in stock, you've lived in Stockholm for 10 years. Yeah. And have toured the globe extensively, so much so that I would, I think it's fair to say that you're almost a, a world citizen kind of person. You know, you're very, you know, you're. That's respectable. I like that. You're rooted here, but your experiences have more to do with not being here and the opportunities you've had to leave. Yeah. Mostly from touring, right? Mostly from touring. Which I think would be, you know, any touring musician would probably feel that, that kind of world wariness placelessness but then but do you think about home when you're there more do you think about those experiences around the world when you're here what's when david said i should do country and when those when my country stories popped into my head like that and i say you know my father's side they're very much word of mouth oral tradition type people Oh, you would have loved Joe, ain't da 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 da. Or your Uncle Jack, he stood neck and neck with a horse. Da 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 da. Blah, blah, blah. And man, such and such and talking, you know. And it's like, 
I have my mother's side is more of a city intelligentsia, educated, academic, art. You know, the music is there, but not definitely never made no, had no gumbo party on my mom's side. My mom's side has this cool things about that. Like she's coming from why it makes it background, West Indian, da 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 da, Barbados, Trinidad, Guyana, like South America. And then her pops is from Tennessee. My father, mother from Lake Charles, and grandfather from somewhere in Louisiana. I don't know the exact hometown, but probably Lake Charles too, or Pineville. But anyway, very, very oral tradition style. Just, and so I feel like when I'm with, well, I know when I was with them, my body was just on absorb. These are my great aunts. I heard so much about them, but I, I never met them. I ain't know nothing about the self-sep stories I was told. My mama met Aunt Fanny first before I was even born, you know. So I find out my mother lived with Aunt Fanny when they lived in Flint, Michigan, before they moved as retirees back to the South where they're from. You understand? So this is, this is like, it's a very factory, cold, like, decade or quarter of a century, man, before they even went back, before I met them down there. It was like overload. Like I learned so much about different cooking without no, without any measurements and just all kind of like rural sort of things. I don't think my aunt ever rode a bike and I don't think she ever like walked to the store like ever, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the store is not even anywhere near where they live. So they had to drive. She never probably even learned to ride a bike or anything. Like that. So it's just like these interesting sort of habitual thing. She burned out two conventional ovens. Some people can have an oven from their grandparents that was passed down a few lifetimes. And they cook regularly, but they don't cook 15 pecan pies for the police department every New Year's. (laughs) She did. That's a lot of pecan pies, like for central bookings. Indeed. How's your family received the record? Surprised and like, they're part of it, but they're a little bit left out because they didn't have this same experience. Mm-hmm. My sister never met these these aunts and uncles and family. They died before she ever, she never got down there to spend like, I went down there two separate times and spent two weeks of time with them. And I did, they, like I said, they were old. They were 84 when I first met them. So my mother like had like a twinkle in her eye, like so much time was in between when she was in the face of, and Fanny, because she and my biological father lived with her in Flint. So this is before she even married my stepdad, who raised me from one and a half till today. So it's like, so he don't know nothing about this. I love my stepdad, but like this, he's cut out of this. this you have, met- yeah, it don't have nothing to do with him. You mentioned he was a little disturbed. Yeah, he was. <laughs> well, he was. He was. He liked initially. I think he was like, "Wow, this is crazy." He, he's like, "You don't know until the, the right people hear it," and blah 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 blah. But after some time, I told you what he said. He's like, "I don't know how I feel about it because he needed to hear my classical training through it." In which, for me, it's like he didn't really get it. It's not about classical training, and he does not want to drink whiskey with me all night either. And so it's like, yeah, it was really. Yeah, I mean, it, it was interesting. It's been interesting, their reception. My brother, sister, both are like, it's crazy. But then at the same time, I mean, I, I feel it now more and more, but it was like the most rebellious shit I could do. It's like, because 
in at, at any particular time, they cannot feel comfortable saying that their brother is uh, singing country music. Like, what? Oh, really? You know what I mean? Because it's just not something that you you can say. My brother's a rapper. You can say my brother plays jazz. My brother's. You can say my brother sings opera. You can say my brother sings French chanson or German leader or whatever. Say, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he sings like the same type of vocal style as like Pavarotti. Say, oh, wow. That's cool. That's cool. But say that my brother sings country music. Some ignorant, somebody would say, I bet he voted for Trump too. Like that's what, you know what I mean? That's why country ain't what you think it is, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like it, the more dialogue that happened for the more I'm like, wow. Like it was nice to be able to learn something to say about myself. Well, that's what's so special about the record, you know? I mean, for people who are familiar with your music, like me, you know, you've had to present yourself in a way that was totally unexpected. You're on a new musical landscape. The writing is really the only common thread, but the sound is radically different from everything we know and have come to expect. On the personal side, the dynamics are that you've unlearned so much uh, polishing and refined skill after years of experience and training and study, really just to make a very honest, no-bullshit record. Record Room is produced, hosted, and edited by Will Felker. Hey. This episode was edited for Clarity by Kyla Davies. Additional production help from Jose Astorga at the Brick House. We were mixed by Federico Foglia. Our theme music is by the homie Dawood Anthony. And our artwork is by Tom McQuaid. Special thanks to Black Rabbit and Greenpoint for lending saloon vibes, a private boot, and $3 house logger to us during our first meeting with Anthony. Thanks also to Ann Pope, Mark Bagan, and Rose Crichton for their guidance throughout production. Shout out to my extended Brick family, and you, dear listener, if you made it this far, you are a good person. 